So greetings from London, this is Mariam Sharif and you are listening and hopefully watching us on YouTube. I've wanted to start to talk about modest fashion for quite a long time and being in the Middle East and Dubai uh, for many years, I have been influenced and just been so um, excited by modest fashion. So my next guest is a um, lifestyle and fashion brand. She is the owner, um, the founder and CEO of Barges London. Uh, please welcome Barges Chohan. Hi. Hi, how are you? Lovely to have you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. So we connected on, I think it was Instagram, Instagram. last year. Yeah. And uh, there was an event going on and, and unfortunately I couldn't attend. But um, recently I saw your profile that came up on my Instagram again. You see, this is Destiny. And um, I, whilst I was scrolling down that I saw that you had worked for Vivienne Westwood and I was like okay now I've got to definitely interview her because <laughs> someone that works for Vivienne Westwood has to have some talent and skill because she doesn't take on anyone and she is such a British for people who don't know her Vivienne Westwood is a iconic British brand uh, and uh, it's, you know she is iconic for British uh, fashion isn't mm -hmm. she? She absolutely is. I mean, you know, when when I was at fashion school, if there was anyone that I wanted to work with, it was for her. And it took a long time, to be honest, um, to get there. It was one of those things that I, I had graduated from London College of Fashion. I was working at Harvey Nichols and I thought, OK, what do I want to do? Um, what did what you study? Really what did you study at college? I studied fashion. I studied okay. fashion at LCF, London College of Fashion. Then I did my master's at Central St. Martins. Whilst I was doing my master's, I wanted to gain some work experience and to work for a brand because the master's was only like twice a week. I didn't have to go in every day. Um, so at that point in time, I was working literally seven days because I was doing my master's. I was working at Harvey Nichols. And then on top of that, I was working at Vivian Westwood. So you how can imagine. How did you uh, manage? I mean, that's always a desire, but how did you get introduced or, you know, if somebody who's listening wants to kind of go and work for a big brand? Because I, I do creative mentoring as well. So how does one get into, did you just, you know, back in the days it was different, right? So it's not like social media wasn't available yeah. at that time. So yeah. how did you introduce yourself? I think I've always had a personal approach. So I just picked up the phone and called and I said that, who do I need to send some images um, to show my work? And yeah. the receptionist, she forwarded it to another colleague and then I e uh, emailed and also posted some of my work because I think that's really important. We receive so many emails, but people don't have the, the time or effort even to open an email. So for with me, um, throughout my career trajectory is all about building personal relationships and doing something physical. So uh, we had an interview with the manager and she really liked my work and she said, okay, can you, do you want to start from next week? And what was great is that I, uh, because uh, I was specializing in pattern cutting, which is really important for a designer to know, um, they put me in charge, uh, you know, responsibility of making patterns. And was, this was for her right. new collection that she's going to show in Paris in a few months time. And I thought, wow. my God, that's a privilege. That really is. Absolutely. I mean, that's just, that's so amazing that you see something on the catwalk that somebody is going to be wearing as well. And yeah. you had like hands on, you know what I mean? Like, isn't that just the most amazing? It was amazing, but it was an eye opener because they expected Absolutely. you to work. I was say, what was the environment seven. like? Really high, uh, high pressure, fast paced. A really fast paced, and um, majority of her employees or staff come from a German background, so it right. felt like I was in Germany. They were highly efficient. Um, they yeah. didn't care if they came on Saturday or Sunday. They just got on with the work, and they had long hours. They had a happy hour at five o'clock, but they would continue after that. So. Then I thought after like about six months, I just thought, you know, I'm at that point that I'm an Asian and my parents are kind of putting a little bit of pressure in terms of yeah, getting married. How did married. your parents feel that? I mean, like, you know, uh, different generation, different options for education now and creative industries have become much more recognized as careers now, um, which I always emphasize. But, you know, uh, for, um, you know, Muslim girl who wants to go into fashion, works for Vivian Westwood, how did your parents feel? 
Well, I, I just told them that I don't want to go into medicine. I, I did sciences at A-level and I was going to, I was literally going to med, uh, to study medicine, but I just thought, you know, something, there's that art side in me that really yeah. is creative. And I love science. And am I really going into medicine just to wear that white coat, you know, yeah. because it was more about title and prestige and, you know, parents drumming into you that, you know, it's important that you, you are quite clever. You become a doctor. Yeah, yeah. That's the only kind of profession that they want you to become. That's all. That's all. There has to be one doctor in an Asian family, in every Asian family. Exactly. And and I think I would have done it. I mean, in terms of academically, it, it it wasn't that difficult. But the hard part was like convincing them to go into art school um my dad just clearly said it that you come from a conservative family you know it's it's not what we do fashion is very glamorous and you know you know the 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 society that you have to mingle with it it's not aligned with your kind of values yeah and that perception also the perception of fashion then was so different wasn't it it was it really was and it was seen differently it's like if you're, if you're not that clever, then you can go into the creative field. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, it was this um, stigma attached to it that, you know, you it's because you're not academic. That's why you've done this kind of vocational course. But with me, it, it was it was because I loved being creative. And I, I've always been very realistic in terms of what I want to do. Um, if I paint, then I think, oh, I, I'm not going to make a lot of money as an artist. But if I transfer those prints into rugs or into clothing then I think they're more functional and um, I feel I can make a bit of money from it too. Well I wanted to actually ask you so you've gone from kind of fashion and modest wear and then I saw this jump into rugs and I was like where does she where does she how does she get from uh, you know fashion to rugs so tell us about that because it's the uh, other way around actually um once I got into Vivian Westwood I did my work experience work there um I just realized that I'm um it's at that point in time to settle down so I wanted to get married and have a baby and then I thought fashion working 24 7 it's not going to fit into my lifestyle at that point in time so I did a lot of freelancing in fashion but then I thought you know while I was pregnant with my baby eight months pregnant I started painting just for therapy and to kill time and I thought oh that would look great as as a rug because it just looks amazing and imagine having something artistic transferred into a rug because that was quite new at that time that was like good 20 uh, 20 years ago yeah, um, yeah. and then I, and then what I did okay I had my baby and then I started doing more designing and I thought let me just take my baby and my husband and my mom to Dubai and then show them all this work. So I used to make back-to-back meetings and um, I, I secured my uh, a project for Emirates Towers just at the back Where of the Why did you choose um, Dubai? I mean, that's, um, I mean, I've lived there. It's just most amazing. It's like my, if I could choose between London and, and Dubai, I can't actually, I love them both. But why, why, why Dubai for you? Uh, to be honest, at that time, I was pretty naive. I just thought they've got lots of money and they, they you know, they've got hotel projects and that's it. You know, it'll be easy money and quick way to enter the market. Right. Okay. Um, and also in the UK, it's like you send your CV, you send your work and then you don't hear from them for about six months. In the yeah. Middle East or in, in Asian countries, you can actually pick up the phone and contact the CEO on the same day. And if they have time, they will meet you. So yeah, I and think business is done so differently over there. It is. It's it a human really contact. But if you send a CV or you, it's the opposite, actually. The they they want to see who you are and your personality Absolutely. and everything is done over food and no conversation yes. and, and the, the human contact, isn't it? Yes. Which is definitely different. So that led you to Dubai. Yeah, that let me, and then I got one project and I just did project after project. And then it's, it, it, I just thought that I had to start from scratch because I only literally had 3,000 pounds of quite my an ambitious move, work. isn't it? It's quite, that was quite an ambitious move to go, you know, it's not just down, you know, another county. It's actually not even another country, it's continents, <laughs> really, isn't it? I'm too driven in that way. I'm really reckless in a way. I, I, I don't have any fear. I just do it. Um, I love that. I love that. That's a true creative. <laughs> exactly. For me, it's like, okay, let's try. If I fell, I fell. It doesn't matter. As long as I tried, I don't want to look back and say, oh, I didn't, uh, I was afraid of failure. That's why I didn't really do it. I just wanted to share a story in terms of when I started my entrepreneurial journey, which I I think could resonate. I was going to ask you actually, uh, because I'm saying Barges, but Barges London, but it's a very unique name. I actually haven't heard of it. Um, And then um, 
where, where are your roots from actually? Where, where, are you, where is the name or origin? Where's your heritage? Well, um, I was born in Karachi. Um, oh, right, okay. So, yeah, Karachi, Pakistan. And then my parents, they moved to London when I was three. Well, actually, my dad moved way before that. Um, so but it's not we, Borges, it's Burgess, right? It's, it's Burgess, yeah. 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 It's, what does it's it mean? Burgess. It means unique shining star. That's what I've heard. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> nice. I love, the, I love the meaning. It's such a unique name as well. It's interesting because in Lebanon, it's like a, a game. So it's like a board game. So whenever they, whenever they say, oh, in the Arab world, barges, they, they kind of, they, they think it's a board game. And I think no. it's a board game. <laughs> barges <laughs> London. So they probably thought that you've gone out, you've got board games. Yeah, exactly. I know. So, so, so sorry, in, what were you saying? Yeah. No, I was just saying that my entrepreneurial journey started like way, way early before even I went into fashion. Like I was 17. And when I, I, I was I was doing my A-levels in sciences. And I, as I said, that I've always had this dream of being creative. So where did it come from, though? What, did you see something? Have you been something around an environment? My, or? My maternal grandmother, she was very uh, oh. artistic. She used to do all, all um, whatever she gave my mom, she, it was all hand sewn and she was extremely creative. The pillowcases, the, all the bed sheets and everything she used to make by hand. So she, she was talented. And also I think I've had a lot of influences from people who were entrepreneurs. I'm so glad my parents used to take me every summer to Pakistan. Um, my paternal uncles and family friends who who were business people and the way they started their businesses from rags to riches I've always loved that Love I've always it, yeah. loved people who started from nothing and that's that's inspired me so when I was 17 what I did I went to the British Library because Google wasn't all that at that time yeah well and there wasn't I, it wasn't there wasn't even Google was there <laughs> So what I did, Google ourselves, I, I, literally you have to do the hard work ourselves, encyclopedias, right? I know. I had 70 pounds and I just thought this, this is pocket money. What do I do with it? Like, and a young girl would just splash it out on a dress or something, yeah. but I didn't want to do that. So I went to the British library. I digged out, did some research on all, all the CEOs of um, petroleum and oil companies in the Middle East. Oh, right. And, and, and then I wrote a poem and I posted that poem to 50 odd CEOs in the Middle East. Wow! Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so from Qatar, not Kuala, only writing Kuwait. poetry, but let's distribute it around the world. Exactly. But I just targeted Middle East, and I thought, let me just do it. Let me just have have fun. And I didn't tell anyone about it because they thought how foolish you could be. Um, so I sent this ridiculous, uh, hideous poem to them and said that I want to shop fashion store in Paris, and it it rhymed. Even the poem rhymed. Right. <laughs> so. I just thought, okay, let's leave it. A month later, um, a manager called from um, a company based in Kuwait, and they said that, oh, you, the CEO really loved your poem. Oh, lovely. <laughs> That's going to resonate with someone. <laughs> I know, yeah. And he said he wants to meet you. And I said, okay, they must, this must be a hoax or something, because this doesn't happen. Yeah. I just did it out of fun out of fun and I didn't know that this this is this can actually you were 17 so, at the time I was 17 I was I was um sixth form doing my a-levels yeah. and hoping to go into medical school but something popped in my head and I thought let me just do it so I told my dad and um I said this person has contacted me and he said oh forget it you know you know what it is the men and everything ignore it but I said <laughs> look it looks quite genuine I mean he's got a penthouse or something in Hyde Park He's holiday home. He's invited me. Why don't you come along? Because yeah. I can't go alone to someone's penthouse. Right. So I dragged my dad. Um, and your, father, your father's probably thinking, what is going on with my child? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he was you saying, know, like, you know, you know he said, Pancho, I know what you're, what is this? Why are you taking me here? You know, because what, he's what got a that great kiss. sport though. What, what a great person. Do you know what I mean, of course the reaction would be that, you know, quite strong, but you know, what a great um, sport. Like, oh, come in, let's go then. Like, what okay. Yeah. That's why he said, okay, just do it. Because he knew I, I'm a bit different to his other children. So I thought might as well just go ahead. So we went there you know, the, the gentleman came out and he gave us a lot of respect and he's got his Arabic attire on and then he gave us Gava and he said, I loved your poem. He said, nobody in my entire life, he must be around 50, has sent a poem. And when you told me that you're 17, I was just absolutely shocked. And he said, if you want a store in Paris, you can have it. Just send your business plan and I'm going to support you. Wow. <laughs> 
Look, you see this kismat. Like you've got to make the effort to do something. It's like you, you sending out like a CV for a job. But yeah. you just, you, it was your poetry. It was your heart. You literally sent out your heart for 50 CEOs and said, who's going to catch it? Exactly. So there were two responses and he said that, but then I kind of messed it up with a business plan. I didn't have experience. So, so, you so know, young, I, you know, yeah, I was too young and I was yeah. greedy. I said, I want a company car and everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's get like, We're getting too ambitious. So <laughs> you, too yeah, ambitious. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I, you know what, that's just, you know, uh, being ambitious, you know, there's no, nothing wrong with having materialistic things as well. Yes. But okay, so you obviously had to transform and create yourself first. And so yeah. I'm actually quite interested in, um, so you also worked for um, Monte Carlo? Yeah, it was a French fashion house. So we were doing yeah. kind of couture work. And um, did I that come after Vivian Westwood? And, and actually, uh, or did it came, it came before kind of simultaneously at the same time, I was yeah. doing freelancing for quite a few companies, but this one kind of stood out because they invited me to Paris. I went to their fashion show to understand their brand. And, um, it, and how is like, that? How's Paris? First time someone's going to Paris for fashion week. How is that experience? Uh, it, it, it was quite overwhelming to be honest. It's, it's, I is just it what you expected? It was, is it what you expected in your mind? It's more than I had expected to be honest, yeah. because, there's so much elegance and everyone just is so natural at fashion. It's like it's effortless for them. Yes, they don't have yes. to make an effort to look yes. good. And when you're there and I try to make, make an effort, but I still stood out because I didn't have their kind of sophistication and elegance. But, but it was a wonderful experience. And I did yeah. that for about two years, gained a lot of insight into what women, how women want to dress. Yeah. And working at Harvey Nichols, understanding it from a customer's perspective, which was really important. Working in Vivian Westwood to learn the technical side of fashion. Yeah. And I think but this is what um, a lot of people don't realize to be a fashion designer. You have to go through the proper channels. You can't yeah, just... You have to go through a process. Corners. There's you a creative process. Exactly. Yeah. For everything in life, yeah. there is a process, isn't it? And you have to yeah. follow that format in order to become that butterfly at the end. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. But yeah, when I went into modest fashion... People think that you're just a fashion designer like that. That's it. You just get no. up one day and just become a fashion designer. No. But excuse me, no, it's much more than that. It's more than that. And it's, there's a lot of psychology in that. You have to understand yes. different mindsets. You have to yeah. understand taste and you have to know about pricing and the market. Everything is so different. So yeah. when I, I was doing these trips back and forth to Dubai for about 10 years and making... So you did drugs over there. Yeah, I did rugs for about yeah. 10 years, but then I diversified into doing exhibitions in New York and it really grew from a small business starting from the kitchen Wonderful. table. It grew, it grew organically. And whilst right. I was traveling, I realized that I can't find the clothes that I want to wear. And this point in time, I started wearing the hijab. I was going to say, um, did you wear the hijab even no, when you no, were? No, no, no. So no. After marriage? Yeah. Yeah, I start not even after marriage, after my second baby, I decided okay. to wear it. It was just a personal choice. My sister right. doesn't wear a hijab. Yeah. I come from a traditional kind of Pakistani cultured family. They yeah. were not that religious. They did their five time prayers and everything, but not like physically, they didn't look religious, if you, if you yeah. know what I'm yeah. trying to say. Yeah. So in, in that sense, um, it, it was just, I couldn't find the clothes that I wanted to wear. And, and I thought, why not design it and go back? This is the market that I want to target. Right. And I don't think, was modest fashion something quite big at that time when you thought of it? Or I think when I started out, it wasn't. But when I entered the market, all of a sudden, a lot of people were coming. But what I found really challenging is that a lot of the designer brands didn't have any design background at all. So right. I was competing with people who were just entrepreneur, creative entrepreneurs who were just yeah. setting up business or they, they were fascinated with this, this idea of modest fashion. Yeah, but they didn't they have any technical experience. No, no technical experience. So I had to still compete with the mainstream market because I felt that there was there wasn't really credibility within the modest fashion industry so I was competing with mainstream designers and mo majority of my buyers were Caucasians they right. were mm -hmm. um, white middle class upper class um, based in Europe or America yeah, who I were buying to, um, kind of uh, eliminate this myth um, of mm. modest wear. Yeah. See, modest wear, people think that you have to wear the hijab and the abaya, mm. and mm. that is modest. Modest just means that you're modest in your own style. 
explain modest wear actually well, for me modesty is about how you carry yourself is how you speak um it's your lifestyle choices it's, uh, i think the last thing is your clothing to be honest yeah you know so, and I, I noticed that in in dubai when you think about modest wear mm. i mean that really changed my perception i went in with my western glasses and all i saw was you know the middle east on you know on in the summers here in Wrightsbridge when i used to work in harrods as well and yeah. you know then after that you'd, i didn't have much of a perception of uh, their culture and or anything and when i moved there i realized how elegant modest wear is and it's not um you know it's something that they do out of choice uh willingly but how amazing do they mix and match uh colors and prints and it, it looks it doesn't even look that you're not that it's modest wear yeah. you know what i mean yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah. I, I've always been a fan of modest wear and I've always wore yeah. modest wear, but not in the sense that uh, deliberately or uh, yeah. unconsciously I've done it, you know? Um, yeah. So anyway, your, your journey to modest wear was really because for personal choices. It's for personal choices. I just felt that I couldn't find the clothes. Uh, if I had to buy something on the high street, you have to go to your local tailor to adjust it. Um, either it's too fitting or it's too short or the hemline or the neckline is an issue. Um, in the Middle East, um, I, I launched my my fashion side through Dubai Fashion Week, but it didn't okay, go down that way. Okay. Yeah, but it, uh, you know the the fashion great platform was, that is as well, isn't it? It's yeah. a real amazing platform to launch your brand. Absolutely, it was brilliant. It gave me a lot of connections, but I feel that. Um, I didn't really understand the modest market in the in Dubai because there's there's an element of contradiction because down there at that time they used to wear the abaya. Now yeah. things have changed a little bit yeah. because I think they've become a little bit more liberal. But they yeah. used to wear the abaya. Then they used to have women only parties where they wore their couture clothes and yeah. you know really <laughs> revealing clothes, female female oriented parties and everything. So there was yeah. this element of contradiction, which I didn't understand. So they couldn't understand how you can make an abaya more stylish. Abaya is just to cover up, that's it. Yeah. Uh, while, while in the European market, the abaya is quite stylish. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it's got lovely cuts, it's got lovely flow, there's textures, and um, it's it's more like outerwear and also innerwear, while yeah. for them, it's just like outerwear and that's it. Right. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I went over and I, I had worn the abaya because obviously I had married into um, a family which is a bit more orthodox than myself. And yeah. um, and I didn't mind. I loved it, actually. But I, black is not really my color. It's not yeah. it's not my chosen color. I actually, it, yeah. it, I think it sucks the life out of me. It's very, you know, it's, it's a very powerful color. And then mm. when you put the sun and everything, it's just something that doesn't agree with me. And I said, well, why can't I change the color? Or what can I yeah. do different? No, 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 you have to wear black. And I was like, mm. oh. but I, you know, and now you see it, you know, eight years uh, forward that it's, it, the, that garment is just completely transformed from color to it texture to, to combination. Completely, completely. And I think now the, the essence of it is like, is changed too. The definition of it has changed. And I think um, with the Mid Middle East clientele, um, I think it was all about my modesty is like really kind of classic with a little bit of modern twist so it's quite right. minimal mm -hmm. my clothing which kind of appeals to the western woman more that's than okay, that's the middle eastern style, woman isn't it minimal you know light yeah. colors and as i see you've got some light colors on but that, that's a very european palette yeah it's no i love prints and i love colors but i feel that um i don't like over the top design so there has to be that element of balance yeah. and even even in like you know i want to launch in pakistan and i feel i'm trying to find a style that will resonate with them but down there that you know they don't mind mixing lots of prints lots of textures lots yeah, of embroidery and with print the biggest uh, um, buyer of modest fashion isn't it it's, it's the second biggest market yeah so. And, and, and Pakistan, I think it's it, they are naturally elegant. I mean, yeah. elegance comes from Pakistan. I think every Pakistani woman is elegant. Yes. Um, I, I personally feel that modesty kind of originated from from South Asian countries and, and Pakistan because the, the, the way they dress and the way they carry themselves is very modest. Um, but things are changing. Um, but what I want to do is give a give. A, give a modern take to the modest attire in Pakistan, because I yeah. feel there are two extremes. So yes. there's one side, which is very religious. And you know, that for them, it's just totally covering up in yeah. black. 
Um, then the other side is too liberal to the extent that they don't have any boundaries. So it's like, Bajis is moderate because I feel I am moderate by nature yeah. and moderation is Islam, you know, the, the, and I feel wow. that we, we as Pakistanis, we are moderates naturally, yeah. but we're, we're losing that. We're going from one party to the other and there's no balance in it. So I feel that maybe it's the right time to introduce Bajis to Pakistan to cater for the moderate women who don't have a voice actually you know mm. i feel that they're kind of lost because there are two extreme versions of what pakistani people should be and they're just yeah. fighting with each other i, I love a, a good scarf with my outfit i'm not wearing it right now but yeah. um uh i actually think that is part of my outfit when yeah. i'm wearing a box yes. and a dress yes. and yes. so in the last few years i even went somewhere and my my cousin said well, what do you want to do yeah. for? And I was yeah. like, because well, it's part of my outfit and I like yeah. it. It's part yeah. of my outfit. I don't feel exactly. completely like my scarf and whatever. And I, I wear it in a nice funky way. And um, so you, you've got like a group of people in Pakistan that wear uh, dupatta and the non-dupatta. Yes. You know what I mean? The, yes. the scarf and the non-scarf. Yes. And you think, well, no, what's wrong with it? It's just part of it's part of my signature. Actually, I always have a scarf, even if I'm wearing English wear. You know, it's 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 part of my um, my signatures. My, but I find that you're right. It's a very different um, uh, category over there in Pakistan. It's a, it's very different, and it, it you know it needs to be introduced. I think that they would love it. I think as well. so. I think so. I think for me, um, you know, going on holidays to Pakistan every year, I, I just feel that the shalwar kameez without a dupatta, it feels like, you know, the head is missing from a body. It yeah. just, it doesn't look complete. It yes. feels like all of a sudden you want to do this to yourself. But, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? It's like, even if it's hanging on your shoulders elegantly, it just yeah. looks complete. Right. Um, so right. yeah, that, that's how I feel it. And it's part of the modesty and elegance that Pakistani women, uh, you know, are synonymous for. They're well known yeah, for it. Yeah, so, absolutely. yeah, so I think that in that way, we, we should not kind of um, see the benchmark of modernity and progression is not following the West. It's actually being accepting and accepting who you are for who you are. And, I and that's that is, what it is. Really I think that, that's what, uh, fashion and style is is to be authentic and be true to who you are Absolutely. you know i see with social media that everybody tries to be this kardashian or yes. you know follow follow celebrities and where they've become and i see this new wave of young generation of, of following everything on instagram and forgotten actually who they are themselves yeah. what do you what do you actually like and what colors mm -hmm. do you like mm -hmm. and what what do you feel about something like find yeah. your own Style. it's okay to be inspired I find that but you know don't be influenced that you 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 want to become that person why would you want to be somebody else like why do you want to copy somebody else so you know I think social media has really influenced and I think that fashion is always what we see in the media where we uh you know see in the magazines and mm -hmm. like, the influence and I think that you know the more that uh, modest way is recognized um in both a traditional uh you know formats or you know conventional traditional to to the west and i think westerns definitely you know i like the the duster jacket became very popular a good couple yeah. of years ago doesn't yeah. it i can't live without yeah. a duster i made so many actually in <laughs> dubai because that was my signature i was like i'm not wearing yeah. dubai but i'm wearing a good couple of you know i made some long duster jackets and yeah. that that's amazing isn't it you just throw it on you know and just wearing anything else on top on, and yeah. it's kind of the layering effect and i think modesty yeah. is actually it's a layer that's it what is. I was just trying to remember actually that it is a layer. For me, when I think about modest wear and what I do, I, I layer everything on. Yeah. So like I've got a shirt, then I've got a, like another jacket, and I've got a scarf, yeah. and then I've got a hat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's all about layering. For me, is that okay? If my phone is ringing. Oh, do you want to? Do you want to get it? Yeah, I just let me just pause it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. That was just unexpected. It's okay, I was gonna I was just telling everybody this is what happens when you're on a Zoom call and it's life that happens, isn't it? <laughs> it does, <laughs> yeah. I say turn your phones off, but you know, so. <laughs> yeah. And um, what do you I wanted to ask you something actually. What do you what is your take on um so I okay, I find that hijab became this big trend um like seven, eight years back, right? Yeah. Everybody yeah. wanted to wear the hijab. Yeah. 
And now you have some big influences that now taking off the hijab. And what is your, what is your take on that? I think what happened when your algorithm, you become succumb a slave to your audience, um, then you have that pressure. So it, it's all about numbers, unfortunately. And I think there's un tremendous um, amount of pressure on influencers and YouTubers to be at the top. And um, they, they, I, I can't really speak on their behalf, but I feel that they, when when you your followers become your only source of income sometimes yeah. you start compromising and um i feel that if they weren't youtubers maybe they would still have that hijab on and yeah. there's a lot of trolling there's a lot of negativity there's a, a, a toxic culture which totally puts people off and i feel that but someone who's know, made their name on being modest having modest wear and being modest and having wearing the hijab and they've made their whole brand according yeah. to the hijab and then they they remove it not that they have, they can remove it for whatever reasons but what i'm saying is that your audience is built on the hijab or that the the modest i feel sad i feel sad that um they 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 had to do it and why they had to do it i'm not questioning it, but once again is when you put your whole soul of income on subscriptions for example yeah and all of a sudden someone something doesn't like something about you you're going to lose the subscribers and right. then you have to find another set of subscribers and then you want to look at a bigger picture because human beings we're greedy fundamentally yeah. we have to control that we have to be aware of what we're doing and sometimes you know we think about intentions uh oh my intention is where to the hijab allah is looking at me and of course yeah. he is yeah. of course he knows your intentions whether you wear the hijab or not hijab there's no guarantee that you're going to go to heaven yeah, yeah but having exactly. said that you sometimes i feel that we fall into a trap a trap of became, becoming a slave to our audience mm. and then it becomes all about algorithms and about numbers and if you are relying on that income to pay your rent or your mortgage and it's not coming to that base level and you have to increment it because your standards and lifestyle have increased then you start compromising and that's have the bottom line. Have you been trolled or have you had a backlash because you wear the hijab? No, never really, to be honest, because um, I don't put myself out there in that sense. I always let my work speak for itself. So yeah. I've never really had that intention of becoming an influencer or YouTuber. I yeah. feel that people know my, uh, know my style. So um, I've kept a back seat. The only place where I feel that I speak up is when I go for motivational speaking or, you know, people invite me to conferences yeah. and everything. Or if I'm going to do my Barger show in the future, if I do it, then that will be a reason because I feel that I'm adding value to someone's life. And that's the whole yeah. point of doing it. Um, yeah. I don't want to make my whole soul of income basically of showcasing my house or, or my car or my handbag and making my life... Um, uh, a Kardashian lifestyle yeah. you know? and, and that's the biggest problem that we're having is that we are falling for this reality TV and we don't realize that it's taking it's consuming us we're yeah, losing absolutely. our souls in the process yeah I think we have to just live uh, this is the year of the awakening and I think that we should consciously live you know and I when I think about it that what what you do should be a conscious effort you know yeah. You know, when you look at fashion, if the world is changing and fashion mm -hmm. has to change. Mm. Uh, you know, fashion is the second biggest polluter in, mm. uh, in, in the industry after oil. Absolutely. You know, and you think about it. And then, so as fashion designers, you have a responsibility. Um, how have you managed in these last few months with COVID? Have you had any challenges? Have you had to change things? Because, you know, we've gone from like conscious uh, living, uh, recognizing that the materials that we use, uh, uh, we have a lot of people that are changing to vegan. You know, there, there's so many aspects of change in this year. How have you changed any, or have you implemented something different during this last uh, four or five months? To be honest, is that I was doing it a couple of years before this happened. Oh, right. So okay. I, I went to Portugal and I looked at vegan leather suppliers and, and sustainability in terms of... Oh, wow. Of, That's um, quite... So you were doing yeah. that... What made, I was doing it before. What, what made you switch then? So why... you So you said you've, you've done it a few years back. Why, why did you think of that? 
How did you come uh, to that? A number of reasons. I did um, a site visit to my rug suppliers and I saw a child working there. I didn't feel comfortable. Mm. Um, uh, same with the embroidery supply. And I thought this has to change. I need to have really full control over my supply chain. Uh, and that was a long time ago. And then I also thought about things like stock. Um, I, I'm a high-end brand, so I don't have a lot of stock. Um, I don't believe in having piles and piles of stuff and then selling it at a really cheap price and then uh, having workers who are working 24-7 and children working on your, your garments just to give a, the customer um, a £30 jacket. So yeah. I, I was always aware of that. So I've done a lot of sourcing trips to Italy and to Portugal to, to kind of find better suppliers who are sustainable and uh, I can understand their process so that I thought I'm in control of what I'm doing. Um, so that's always been consciously at the back of mind because I believe that I could be selling like a rug for £4,000, but if there's a child making the rug, it's pointless yeah. for me. I can't sleep at night. I mean, I, uh, for me, peace of mind is sleeping well at night. And that's really, really important for me. Um, that am I harming anyone? Am I harming a person or a child? Or am I um, treating my employees with respect? Um, all these things are really important because I've, I didn't set up this business to make millions and millions of money. For yeah. me, it was to balance my life. that I can have my children. I can do my school runs. I could be creative. I can make a little bit of money on the side. And alhamdulillah, you know, that was my intention, but it's grown. But yeah. it was purely for work-life balance. That's why I set up my business. Yeah. And so COVID, I think what, what happened in COVID is that I was doing a lot of traveling and um, it made me realize that sometimes I wasn't really healing from my past issues, which we all have. So I think COVID gave me an opportunity to really kind of confront my demons yeah. and question what I really want to do. Why am I doing it? I think the everybody's done that. And, you know, there. for you to yeah. say that as well, like I think everyone, I think no matter what size of your business, no matter yeah. who you work for, or if you, if you don't work, if you're a mother, I think yeah. like every single person I know has questioned themselves and had yeah. these conversations and dialogues with themselves. Yes. So what conclusion so, so, did you... What, so, what conclusion so did you me, come to and what have you learned from COVID? I, I've just learned that family and having human connections is the most important thing. Um, it's about building relationships with people without having a hidden agenda. Because I feel we became very selfish. We would only pick up the phone to call yeah. people if we want something from them. But we wouldn't actually call them and just say, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Yeah. You know, just calling them. So I think in that way, we needed that. We needed to to humble. Uh, this was Allah's way, God's way of humbling the world because we were becoming too powerful for our own liking. And yeah. one virus has completely put, put us in our place. Absolutely. It's told us who's boss, really. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like you just sit put until I told you to fly. Yes. I'm really yes. missing flying, by the way. Um, how do you think, what, what do you see, how the, what is the future of fashion? Because have you seen, um, I just saw recently uh, with the uh, Selfridges and they, they're, you know, they've got a big sustainability um, campaign you know we shop differently now you know it, 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 everyone is trying to change fashion how do you see fashion in the future and what are the major changes how, how do you think we will shop I think in 2017 I started my last fashion show was in Malaysia I stopped doing fashion shows purely because I thought I thought it was an extravagance there right. are other ways of actually um, showcasing your work, which is more cost effective. Um, uh, the foot traffic, the, the people and showing this kind of very narrow vision or, or one definition of what a woman should look like. Mm. Uh, I think it's so outdated. And now a lot of people because of COVID, they're forced to think about the marketing strategies and are fashion shows really important? No, I don't think they are. I think it's just extravagant expense. Uh, catering for the elite um, who are 1% of the population, yeah. giving them front row seats, making them feel important, but that's about it. So I think we, we, it will be basically the audience ruling and controlling the designers of what they want. They're the one who demand sustainability. They're the one who demand, um, you know, care for workers and, pay, and making sure that they're paid properly. So I think the, the, the audience and the customers have a lot of power now, not, not the brands. Um, yeah. In that sense, um, we have to go back to basics. Um, we have to kind of know 
what is your brand ethos? I set up the business to provide something special for a customer and, and that's what I wanted. Uh, I didn't want it to be kind of mass produced products because I knew that it was affecting the environment and the people that I work around. Um, it, it, I think we, we, it's going to become simple and clear and, the, and people want transparency now. Yes. They want to see where things are produced whether they produce in Pakistan, you have to put the label. You can't say it's made in Pakistan, but you know, some of the trimming is done in, in Italy, and then you say it's made in Italy. Mm. I think there was a lot of cheating and a lot of deception and a lot of misinformation um, from the designer brands to the audience. But now the audience, especially the millennials and the younger generation, they are really educated. Very clear, and they're very conscious. They, they yeah. know what they want, and for them, I think most important thing it's sleeping well at now. You know, there, there was that generation who wanted to make a lot of money, yeah. but this generation is, is aware, they're conscious, but also I think they're, they're, they have an opinion and they have a mind of their own. Um, mm -hmm. They're not interested in just buying something just for the sake of buying it. And, yeah. and they're going to dictate um, how the brands run their businesses in the future. So I know that you have an initiative as well. Um, I used to do mentoring and I had my own mentoring charity for young people from disadvantaged backgrounds. And you kind of do something very similar to that. Tell me about your initiative. Um, for about six years, I've been going into schools and um, I wanted to kind of inspire uh, uh, young people to go into creativity. That's how it started out. So Thank I started you. off going into schools, my daughter's schools and doing this creative workshop. How old are your daughters, by the way? Oh, my, my eldest one is 21. She's graduated. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, my middle one is 17 and then younger one is 15. Right. So, mashallah, you know, um, yeah. So going, going back to schools was really good opportunity to give children uh, coming from disadvantaged backgrounds access yeah. point to the creative industry because it, when you go into fashion, you realize how elitist it is and yes, it's absolutely. only catering for the privileged class. And I thought, my God, why can't we open it up to people who can't afford it, but at least they can experience it. Yeah, so they, what they would do is that those winners, those children, nine, 10 year olds will come to my fashion shows and I'll give them front row seats oh. so that they have an opportunity to oh, see nice. a fashion but, show, exactly. you know, yeah. that these little things really can be life changing for yeah. one child. I mean, and what an insight, isn't it, of, of what, how someone works and, and just to, to see something for themselves. Absolutely. Yes. from that experience for the rest of their life. And it's probably not an opportunity. I think giving them opportunities, isn't it? It's like, I think anything in mentoring or anything with young people is to kind of create some opportunities or some avenues of, uh, that they probably didn't even think of. And then to make them recognize maybe their own potential. Oh yeah, it's planting that seed. That's what it is. It's planting that seed of inspiration to say, I can do this. It's not just for the privileged class. So I started doing that for a few years and then I thought, let me set it up um, officially as the Barges Initiative. Now, um, I don't just do schools. Um, I also cater for aspirational leaders. So we're going to be launching this program. Um, people who didn't have that access point, they don't come from well-off background. They don't yeah. have the connections and network and they feel stuck. So I'm going to be helping them. And then a program for uh, women who are 40 plus. You know, yeah. the people, uh, women whose children have left or, you know, they, they're trying to find themselves and they kind of, they don't know who they are because they've invested so much time in their family and their husbands. Yeah, and, and they have this um, emptiness syndrome. I, exactly, I know a couple of right exactly. And, like, and a couple of them got a couple of years left. And I said, start something up. I always encourage yeah. everyone start a little business or well you're going to be in my cohort soon my <laughs> cohort so inshallah i'm trying so, to do this program very similar because we've started like i have a, a background in education yeah i uh, wanted to start um in uh, in the creative industries i have yeah. a my 99 my family is 95 probably 90 percent medicine yeah you know and i think that anybody entering into creative industries is at that point in time, you know, 20 years back, it's yeah. a very different ball game. It's a very totally. different ball game now with social media. And you have so many opportunities now. 
Yeah. Uh, whereas yeah. then, you know, there weren't, and to, to do something completely different, like I want to be a makeup artist, a stylist, and then going to corporate styling. You know, like, what do you want to do that for? What do you want to do red carpet for? Like, why are you pagal? Have you gone mad? Just get a job. <laughs> I know, I know. But I mean, you have to do what you want to do, whatever is your uh, passion. Absolutely. And that's what makes you happy and what makes your heart sing. That's yeah. what life is about. Absolutely. You know, leave your mark in the world and do something different why do you want to be a, you know a follower you know i can never yeah. do that. you know i think that that's what exactly. it is those creatives and you think creativity doesn't have any boundaries that's no, the thing that if you're trying to you know put somebody in a box that doesn't happen with creativity no. it's it's a global yeah. phenomena and and right yeah. now creativity is the new genius if you it look really at is. it that you know that's creative if you have creativity and imagination then that's it you know that that's the new genius where do you see barges in the uh, in the future and maybe in five years time where would you like to see your brand I as I said I really want to go back um, to my country of origin um, I'm kind of heavily investing in uh, launching something in Pakistan so right. I did an exhibition um, uh, in December in London and I would like to do the same thing in Pakistan so right. we're working on doing a lot of research to see which will be the right time because of COVID um, things have delayed. So unpredictable, yeah. yeah I think it's lots of uncertainty. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we're going to wait and see how things develop. But, but you need to have those conversations, and you know, uh, you know, it's not going to last forever. Seasons do change, so yeah, absolutely yeah. having those right conversations, making those connections. Yeah. And if there's anything that I can help you with in Pakistan, definitely let me know. Yeah, definitely. So I'm I'm going to do a trip, inshallah. We don't know when, but it's going to happen just yeah. to meet the right people and um, hopefully do an exhibition in Karachi and Lahore. Um, yeah. That's the whole point. Um, just to just to kind of get explore and see what what people want and uh, how they kind of receive barges, and then yeah. do a limited edition, inshallah, um, Shalwal Kamil collection before Eid. That's the plan. Is there a certain designer that you aspire to? Is there someone that you like, or or you like someone's style, or a designer that you've really admired? That has inspired you and your your whole work in, in my whole uh, well there's quite a few actually but um as i said vivian westwood i love the pattern cutting i love yeah. the way she um puts things together mm. i like the quirkiness of paul smith um he's mm. another one who i wanted as a mentor and i sent him a letter handwritten letter and he replied back um oh, yeah. yeah he replied back with a postcard handwritten that barges i would love to be your mentor but at the moment i don't have the time yeah. And um, I, I really respect that, that how he started and he didn't really have any investors or anything and how yeah. he built his business. Um, Alice and Olivia, I love their prints. I love Tory Burch. Um, there's quite a few designers that I, uh, that I really do. Anybody from Pakistan that you really like? I, I, I like um, some aspects of HSY. I think yeah. uh, some, of, some of his work is really good. Um, I like the prints of some of the designers. Um, Faraz Manan is quite nice. Um, yeah. but, but I feel that in Pakistan, everyone's doing the same thing. It's yeah. like no one is, everyone's playing safe. Mm. Um, there is the, the creativity is kind of going downhill instead of going up. So, you know, bridal wear is all the same. The lawn collection is all the same. What would you like to see different in bridal wear if you were to do it then? What, what I, I think bridal like? wear should be, uh, it should be about the person. It, it shouldn't be like everyone looks the same. Thank you, you so much. You know what? This is the reason that I didn't like doing bridal. Yeah. Is because yeah. I thought, I don't want everybody looking like a Christmas exactly. tree. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Smiling, I was like, your makeup doesn't go with your clothing and your clothing yeah. doesn't go with your jewelry and it's not in balance. It's not in sync. And you are no. not in sync on the day. Who do yeah. you who are you gonna be? Who are you? Yeah. In 30, 20 years, when your kids pick up your photo album yeah. and say, "Like, mummy, is this you?" Yeah. <laughs> and it has to. I, you have to be authentic, and you have to resonate with who you are. From I designed my own wedding dress, which I'll share with you one day. But it was like kind of a Victorian dress because I wanted to put a quintessential British take to it, and then it had yeah. a huge train. But the silhouette was very Victorian. Oh, so lovely! And then I kind what of put mixed. Like? It. Is that something? Is there a is there a decade or an era that you like? It, it was definitely kind of Victorian era, era but then it, I had to put a lot of embellishment, which comes from Pakistani roots, We've but in a, a very minimal way, in a minimal way. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, it, so it's like, uh, it was Zardozi, but it was just one color, that's it, nothing oh, else, right. no other nice. color with it, yeah. um, top to bottom. So I'll share that one day, and I, sh I showed that at the 
at my exhibition. I, I would love to show it in Pakistan too. But that was like 23 years ago, uh, mashallah. But still, it's classic and timeless. So if I do bridal wear, it would be understanding the bride and understanding what she, who she is yeah. as a person and making that one piece just for her. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to be actually tailor-made and unique for yeah. her. You know, yeah. actually, that's just sparked something off, like, uh, um, also on Selfridges' uh, Instagram page. I read that they're doing, like, a um, 100-piece capsule wardrobe, which are top designers, and you've even got kind of bags and earrings in there. I'm not, about the I'm not sure about the shoes, I didn't check. But, so you're able to rent these designer pieces um, from them? Mm -hmm. or I think uh, for a number of days, I can't remember the, the yeah. days that I posted it on my Instagram as well, but you're, you're able to do that. Like uh, you could rent out these garments, right? So what do you, do you think that that is a way forward for people to maybe explore brands without investing and buying so much? And do you think that would be a trend that catch on or not? Um, I think Nobody wants to kind of share a Yves Saint Laurent, yeah? If you, if you want to, Yves Saint Laurent, like, you know, you want to buy, it's going to be yours. Yeah. So, so it really, it, some people it's okay, but some people who, it's not about just purchasing, it's part, purchasing a part of the designer. So, and they don't want to share it with anybody. So yeah. I think for a certain market, yeah, definitely it's good for sustainability. It's also good for circular fashion. Yeah. Uh, and I think the trend is really, especially for evening wear, because you only wear it once and you don't want to wear it again. Yeah, because um, so I look at it like when I'm sourcing something for a celebrity, we borrow and we rent our garments, right? Yeah. We the, get the wardrobe from all places, yeah. all different designers to cater for that one celebrity. So if we have now become the celebrity and we also the paparazzi and we are always on show, we're always having to change our clothes. I feel like yeah. people don't understand how to make one or two, three people like garments, you know, items of clothing and they can turn it around in so many different ways. But people I find are wanting to change their outfits every single uh, picture, every single event, every single, you know what I mean? They can't reuse or repurpose that. And I think, I think, okay, repurpose it in a different style or a different way, put it with some different accessories or do your hair differently or something, but people just don't want to do that. No, they don't. It's all about consumption, isn't it? And I think that's what circular fashion is really important to educate the market. Mm. That it's okay to wear the same outfit two or three times at an event. It doesn't yeah. really make you feel small or like, you no. know, that you can't afford it. You love that designer. So you want to wear that designer again and again. You love that yeah. outfit. <laughs> and and, it, and it's part of you. The, the color, you know, whatever exactly. it is. It makes you feel important and special. But also, I think that you know, ever since I moved to Dubai, and I, I think I had a bit of a spiritual journey also when I was in Dubai, I, I had so many bags and shoes and clothes that I would just buy. You know what I mean? I was just, you know, you just consume, you just yeah. buy, buy, buy. You know, I don't know if it's maturity or age or, you know, just, uh, just you know, some common sense that's coming to me. But I do find that I'm not as um, liberal with my money and I don't want to buy just for the sake of buying. I'm yeah. I'm by consciously now yeah. by, I, I have kind of reduced the fact that also I'm going to be accountable for everything that I buy. I'm responsible for everything. Then, you know, a lot of things I've just bagged up, I think probably about more than 10 bags for charity and I'm waiting for someone to collect it. So, you know what I mean? I, I've bagged up all of my desi clothes, all yeah. of my English clothes, because like, I just, I, you know, like Asians, we don't like throwing things away. You know what I mean? So like, even like, I love my clothes. I like treat them yeah. like, part of my yeah. chapter of my life but yeah. I look after them but I've realized that I, I bought a bit too much so yeah. I, you know I'm I've really reduced that and I think people need to really I think people have started to they've started to recognize that we don't need so many clothes you know I I, I, I think it's uh, it's all about how you're feeling from within isn't it I, yeah. I think that once you feel a bit complete and you don't feel empty uh, then consumerism takes a second seat yeah. So it's about filling your heart and your soul with other things that make you happy because yeah. before materialistic things are, are only for a short while. Yeah. After that, you know, they don't make you feel happy. Then you want to buy something else. It becomes yeah. a vicious circle. I mean, I love and, clothes for, and love style, I love as an expression and as a yeah. myth, you know, I can, yeah. like I was in my pajamas for like a good couple of days over the weekend. Yeah. And I was like, okay, uh, just chilling out in front of, you know, Netflix and whatever. Yeah. 
uh, your mood changes in the way that you style yourself and it is actually styling and fashion actually helps with depression do you know that that actually if you look after yourself you look after so many people that are in lockdown in these last few months have just uh, let themselves go and you know when you get up in the morning get dressed and go out and go to work it's a different feeling and that routine had stopped that that um you yeah. know dressing up and looking good but you've got to look good for yourself and and i think fashion is and style is just such an expression for yourself you know you're you're expressing yeah. from the inside out you know yeah um so in that way it definitely is, is a kind of a, a paracetamol for everybody that is, uh, it is. i have to put my lipstick on because that kind of makes that transition from my personal life to my professional life <laughs> though i'm working from home because it's telling me okay now i need to work i've got my lipstick on well i went to see a, a cousin of mine in Pakistan and she had a, um, an operation and uh, so I went to visit her she had this bright red lipstick on yeah and I said Baji what have you got like you got red lipstick on and you're looking around and what's going on she goes because you know what when I put my lipstick on I feel so much better she goes I feel like I'm just uh, you know I'm well you know what I mean so yeah. she, she goes I just need my red lipstick and that's it totally you know? totally yeah so, it can um, really kind of cheer your mood for a little while <laughs> it's therapy for some people what would you say to your younger self, uh, you know, in a situation that you are I now? Think, what advice think, would you give to some young person or to your younger self? I think stop being so competitive. That's how I was. I was very competitive when I was younger. So I wanted where to be the best from? in everything. Where did that streak come from? Maybe I'm a middle child. It's middle child syndrome, being the middle person in the family. Uh, yeah. So I think maybe the positioning in the family. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so it's like I felt that, you know, as middle children, you, you sometimes you're, you're, you, your parents give you attention, but you just kind of don't receive it. Uh, or you don't want to receive it. So in that sense, maybe that's what it was. But I would say to young people is that don't don't become too competitive. Um, just go with the flow and take risks. I think that's re really important, uh, especially in work. Take risks. Um, fail. Don't be afraid of failure because yeah. failure is is a life lesson. You learn more through failure than success. And I think and I somebody who wants to become a um following your footsteps and wants to start a fashion brand, what, what, uh, what advice would you give to someone? I think first go to, to art schools, learn fashion first. Uh, I think that's really important. Yeah. You might be really creative naturally, but you won't have the technical expertise. Yeah. And it's really important to understand, you know, the frame of a, a body and, you know, how patterns work and how yeah. fabrics work. So I think get like, you know, if you want to study medicine or become a doctor, you have to go to, to medical school. The same yeah. thing with fashion. You have to go to fashion school. Um, also, get work experience, work with designers so you understand the, the insights of running a business and yeah. setting up as a fashion designer. Yeah, to equally understand um, the business of fashion. Yeah, exa exactly. You have to, I mean, that's only 1% of the business is the creativity. The rest of it, it's like, it's just hard work. It really is. Putting a collection together, marketing the collection, understanding your audience, your customer, and also adapting and being flexible. Like in COVID, every designer had to kind of revisit, um, you know, who are they? What, why have we created this brand? Yeah. What, are we really kind of um, taking it in the right direction or the wrong direction and then kind of resetting it? So the flexibility and adaptability um, for any business is really important somebody who wants to start a new business or some words of encouragement that somebody throughout this, even this COVID season that we're going through um, to help with creativity, to help us and something inspirational that we can do in this next six months. I think um, first thing is that there's no age or barrier to, to succeeding or doing, starting something. So even yeah. if you are 70 or 30 or 40, whatever age if you want to set up your business or do something or educate yourself you can do that yeah. so age is not a limit secondly is that you don't need a lot of money to set up your business or do something because that people think oh my god i have to set up my business and then get an investor and then scale up and then uh, and then yeah. exit and retire by the age of 40. i think we need to stop this startup mindset that we have and just kind of go with the flow um and, and you only have one life. So it's like you, you're limited in this world. What do you want your legacy? What, what impact do you want to leave? Great. Thank you so much for coming on uh, the podcast. I'm so delighted to, that you share all your knowledge. And 
and your insights into different industries as well and different continents and where 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 creativity leads you know it, there is no boundaries to anything is there and if thank you put you a mind so to much. it you can do anything thank you thank you for having me thank you mariam uh, i wish you all the best and um yeah, and likewise, I wish you all the best to this next few months of COVID. I hope that inshallah everybody is safe and well, and then we get through this yeah. next few months and then inshallah. get together and have a, a big party. And a, a that would be wonderful. I would love to meet you in person. You know, yes. that's what I wish that everybody's safe and well until we can get back into some inshallah another normal inshallah inshallah. But um, you know, all the success for the future. I look forward Thank to. You. Seeing your Thank designs you so and initiatives much. and be part of it and um we'll see you on probably part two maybe next year <laughs> <laughs> inshallah thank you so so much for having me i wish you all the best you're wonderful i love your smile and, I, and that's what kind of attracted me to you in the first place oh you know, there's this so kind much. of that's what it is we're going to help everybody else along the way quite contagious oh thank you so much well i just want to help yes totally <laughs> just want to help all the other ladies on the way <laughs> and if we can help and share and encourage them in some kind of in shape or form i think the totally, job is totally totally and i'm sure that you've been We're such all an inspiration absolutely and it's lovely to hear your story totally. and to share your knowledge and thank you thank so you much so once much. again thank you and take care and look after yourself